It's time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, today we come to you in the name of our Savior Jesus. We come with our hearts abandoned, Lord, and our hands are held high in awe of who you are. Isaiah said it correctly in chapter 64. He said, Oh, that thou won't red, rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might shake at your glory. And Lord, that's what we need. We need this world needs to see your glory once again. Like the children of Israel, when you descended upon Mount, upon the Mount, Lord, the, the ground shook and the sky thundered and the earth quaked at your presence. Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down and help this world that we live in, who's drifted far off from your from your command commandments who have drifted far off from your son, Jesus Christ, forgetting what he did for, for them. Father God, we come to you. We come to you with our hearts abandoned, Lord. Our hearts are yours now. We made commitments to you. We made a commitment and gave our lives over to you. And therefore, we were dead in our sins. And now we're alive. We were lost and now we're found. We were headed for the kingdom, prepared for the devil and his angels, and now we're headed for the kingdom of heaven. And this lost world, Lord, they don't seem to care about their eternity and where they might spend it. Some don't even look for you. They just go marching through life, never look up, just plowing their way. And, Lord, we're here. Freedom Church is here to tell them that Jesus Christ is alive and well. He was crucified he was dead and he was buried and now he is risen the third day according to the scriptures may the world know it lord today from all your churches in the world preaching the gospel of jesus christ may your spirit descend and shake the churches shake the hearts of those that that are in your congregation in your in this world lord just shake them up that they might come to know you and they might look to what is in store in their future. And Father, we give you the glory here at Freedom Church. Be glorified in all that we say, all that we do, all that we praise, all that we, all that we preach. May you receive glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated at church. Those online, we're glad you're there. Um, we know some just tuned in because... Um, well, you know, we're glad you're here. This is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. And uh, if you're local, we're in Palm Beach, Florida. We're on Lent, uh, High Paluxo Road, just a quarter mile west of I-95 on High Paluxo on the north side of the road, which is, is, um, is Lantana, Florida. Boynton Beach is just across the street. So if you're in that area, you know you're welcome to come to church here. It's... Uh, 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, okay? We're glad, we'd love to have you. Um, when you go to our website, since you're already on it, you know, you can just read our beliefs. We're a full gospel Bible-preaching church. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as, as we just sang a song on that. Um, you can find our address. You can see our list of ministries. You can watch past services from years past. You can even donate online uh, should you feel led you know, to give gifts offering or even your tithe if you're 
if you're um, online and you tune in to us every week. We stream live every Sunday at 10 a.m., so tune in next week. Invite your neighbors, your friends, your relatives over to hear the gospel going forth from, from Freedom Church to the Palm Beaches. If you're local, men, we have a Bible study at 9 a.m. on Saturday mornings. It's not streamed, but we have a great time, and the guys are growing, and uh, we, we really get, uh, get, you know, can I say, go well together, everybody that's there. Different churches are represented. Even a pastor from another church in the area uh, is, is there every Sunday. Um, so every Saturday, I'm sorry. So um, if you're local, come on by, 9 a.m. So that's about it. So before we go on, um, we, we, uh, we want to pray for, um, take time out and pray for Brett. He's up in Ohio preaching the gospel to the Amish lands. They got a big tent revival stuff going on there, and Brett's up there. And we want to thank God for bringing uh, Matt home safely and getting him through this six-month uh, time in Brazil teaching English to the, the Portuguese-speaking missionaries. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you, Father. We lift up our brother Brett up in Ohio, Lord, preaching the gospel and, and talking to people about Jesus. Lord, I pray that you... Open the doors for the Amish area people to, to come back to their Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord. And those that are already saved, Lord, that they would be fired up again, Lord, because the gospel is going forth and the people are being saved. And we give you the glory. We thank you, Lord, that Matt's back from Brazil. We thank you, Lord, that you got him through safely. We know some of those times were a little rough, but he's here and he's done his job. And now there's missionaries that are going to speak English, you know, going out to the world, to English-speaking countries, and preaching the gospel. And we don't know what lands they ultimately are, but they're out there preaching, all because Matt was in Brazil, and, and we supported him, and we thank the Lord for that, for the opportunity. What a privilege to support missionaries around the world that are preaching the gospel. To you be the glory, Father, for their lives and their families. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Matt up. He's just going to give us a, a little rundown on uh, some things, and we're going to, he'll be up here at the pulpit in a couple of weeks or so. Thanks, Pastor Joe. And hello, everyone. I uh, just wanted to come up today, and I see everybody's on the right side. There's something wrong with the left side. But I wanted to just come up today. I, I just got back on Friday. Um, and for those of you who, who don't know, uh, I've been in Brazil since February. I think I left or arrived there February 1st um, teaching, teaching English to Brazilian missionaries so that they can be equipped to go out to, to many different nations um, in the world. And you guys, this church was just such a, an amazing, like, support, like, over and, and above, you know, like um, many, many other churches and how they support missionaries. And I think as I, I told you guys before I left, like, I, I don't think we should look at this mission as, as my mission, but it's our mission together. So it wasn't just me who, who helped to train and raise up these, these Brazilian missionaries, but it was, uh, it was us together. 
And um, I, I just want to say quickly, I'm going to share, um, I'm going to share probably in, in a few weeks, like a whole report. I can show you pictures, testimonies, everything that's happened. Uh, but I wanted to say to you today to let you know that the mission was a success. It was very difficult. I faced, personally, I faced a lot of battles. We had a lot of battles in the um, just among the the mission base and the school and the students had their own battles with finances and and just all kinds of things you know we had to really fight through the enemy attacked everyone uh, with sickness physical sickness emotional all kinds of all kinds of battles spiritual battles but God gave us victory um, and it was a, it was a success like we had about Total about 15 or so students, not all of them did were there the whole time, not all of them made it through uh, to the end, but most of them were, were successfully trained, like I saw some that came there, and all they could say in English was, uh, hello, how are you, I barely say that, and now, you know, by the time that, that I left, we're having full-on conversations about deep topics. They could share the gospel. They could share Bible stories. Um, so it was just amazing. Actually really impressed me to see how far they came. And all of them are precious. All of them are serious missionaries, not just like, oh, I have a dream, you know, like they've already been doing missions for eight, nine, ten years, many of them. And and they have a real calling from God to reach the world um, and some of them, uh, I'll, I'll give you, a, again, more details uh, when I speak, but um, some of them will, will stay in Brazil for a while, but some of them are already uh, accepted and, and planning and on their way to other nations, um, to England, to uh, parts of Asia, um, that I actually, one of, one of my students, one of our students, I should say, is was accepted to go to a, a country in Asia, and I cannot even tell you the name of this country because of because of persecution, because it would be dangerous to even share the location. But um, she was accepted to go to a country in Central Asia, and now she's going to be able to use her English, you know, to help her to help her there and to help her live and minister there. Um, so yeah, again, it was. It was a success, and I just thank you so much, so much for your support. I would not have made it without your support, not just the financial, but the moral support. Many of you left me encouraging notes before I left. Uh, Lewis, especially, I read yours several times uh, when I was there. Pastor Joe, we talked like every week, um, just prayed with me, gave me moral support. So uh, it was really amazing, and... Um, this church was really a, a left a good witness for the other missionaries. Like people were very, people were like amazed at the support that I had because a lot of them, their churches, a lot of the missionaries, their churches don't even support them. Um, they don't talk to them every week. They don't send them even finances or anything, you know. So they were really just blown away to see um, how you guys were involved in the mission there. And they were encouraged that a church from the United States had an interest in them and in their lives and that you were praying for them and you were praying for the school and you were sending money for the school and for us to do what, what we were doing there. 
So I just say thank you very much. I'm really happy to be back. Um, I really, really missed you guys a lot. I missed this church. I, I watched and listened online sometimes, but sometimes it was even hard to, to watch online because I would just feel so homesick, like, oh, I want to I be there, you know, with them. Um, but, but yeah, I want to say thank you again, and I'll be sharing maybe in a few weeks give you a, a full report, show you pictures, let you know where, uh, where a lot of the students are heading and what the fruit of this mission is. Um, and also want to let you know for, for me now, um, so as, an, as a U.S. citizen, we have automatically, like just with our, just with our, our passport, we can stay, any of us could stay in Brazil maximum of 180 days per year, which I stayed almost that time. I think I have like two or three weeks left that I could be in Brazil this year. Um, I applied for uh, another visa that could let me stay longer, but it was not approved. So at this point, I, I've used all my time in Brazil, uh, and they're not doing another English school this next for the rest of this year. Only they're only going to start a new one next year. So for now, I'll be here with you for a while, and I'm just praying, you know, and seeing like how God will lead me. Um, but I'm not going to immediately return to Brazil this year because I've spent most of most of my time there uh, that I can even spend this year already. But now I'm just praying and looking to the Lord for direction, uh, what I'll do next. But for now, I'm here. I'll be here with you uh, every Sunday, serving the church, maybe lead some worship again. And, um, and yeah, so that's where, that's where I'll be for now. And I'm uh, praying also for next year. I was invited back to be a part of the school again uh, in the beginning of next year. I don't know for sure if I will, I will do that, but that's a, just another prayer. Maybe you can even pray, pray with me, you know, for the Lord to just give me direction of, of where he wants me. Um, to be uh, the rest of this year and especially in next year. But thank you so much again. God bless you guys. I'm happy to see you, and, um, and I'll be speaking more to you soon. So Pastor Joey can come. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Hey, this guy, you know, he didn't go just to preach the gospel to house to house to house. He trained people to do that. You know, so those 15 people or so that went through the class, now there's 15 missionaries out there doing that, not just one. So, I, you know, he's in, I guess you could say, he's in the administration part of, of, uh, of um, you know, missions, you know. So thanks, Matt. God bless you. Pastor Joe. Amen. Amen. You know, we're just a little church, but, I'll tell you what, we, you know, we have a vision for missionaries. You know, every, some of you, every month, every week, some put money in the thing, and, and for Matt, you know, and even for Brett when he was in Brazil, and this church would take that money. If you gave $50, we'd give him 100 We would match it, the church itself. You who give to this church will actually match the money that was given by someone else, even in another church. So, um, so uh, you know, that's, that's what I want to do is 
I wanted the church to to learn how to support missionaries again. Because with all the things that's gone down in the churches today, you know, the missionaries were kind of like the last, first ones to get their their help cut, financial help cut. And uh, that well, that's not correct. Jesus said our first commission is to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. You know, that's our commission. You know, that's the first thing we should do as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, uh, we'll just see. I, I, I think it's a privilege, an honor, a blessing that God would choose us to support missionaries and, and be able to go out there. And you all did it together. The, the sower and the reaper are the same, says the scriptures. So, And you'll be rewarded according to what you have done. Of course, you know, Matt will get a bigger uh, reward than us because we just gave and prayed. But Matt was there hands-on, so he invested more time. So he'll be awarded it according to his labor, and so will you. So we thank you. Um, hey, online, you know, those here, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. We were off of this for a couple of weeks because Brett was up here teaching, which is a, is, is a blessing in itself, you know, to have Matt, uh, Brett up here preaching, you know, and he livens place up a little bit, which we're glad. But we're, uh, Darren's passing out some, of some sheets, little half sheets like this is just a little outline of where we're at today. But we're going to look at the seven parables of, of the king in Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to start, I'm going to review because we did last time, we did parable number one, which was a parable of the sower. And I'm just going to elaborate on that a little bit. Then we're going to move to par parable number two, all the way to parable number seven. But I want you to know that, and it's right on the title top of your sheet there that I had passed out to you, the seven parables of the king. All these parables, listen church, all these parables pertain to Israel's rejection of the king. All the parables are directed to Israel by Jesus because of their rejection so of his, you know, to rejecting him and the kingdom. So these parables, you know, are, are, were meant for the Jews that were rejecting Jesus Christ. So when we think of these, you know, as we go through, remember that, okay? Let me, let me just read Matthew 13, 18 through 23. We kind of went through that last time I was up here a couple weeks ago. But I'm going to read, Therefore, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed by the stony places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has, it has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the word on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some 
a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. And Jesus told us in Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to read it for you. Mark chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. And he said, that's Jesus, said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. In other words, you have to understand this parable before you can understand the rest of the parables because it has a connection to every single one of them, which is, you know, pertaining to Israel's rejection of the king, Messiah Jesus, of course. So it unlocks the following parables that we're going to look through. Here you see the seed is God's word. The seed is God's word. That's what you do every day when you quote Scripture. You know, that's what Matt did by quoting Scripture in Brazil. The field is the hearts of the people. The particular person you're talking to, that's the heart. Is the field ready for, you know, the word, the seed to germinate and to come into, uh, uh, into life, come to life? Then the birds are representative of Satan's forces. They steal the word. They steal the word. The birds come and pluck up the seed before it ever gets to sprout. So you've got to know these things as we move through these parables. Parable number two is the parable of the wheat and the tares, and I'm going to read it, verse 24 through 30, six verses. It's a parable of the wheat and the tares. Another parable he put forth, that's Jesus, to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. But while he slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted to produce a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owners came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This parable is talking about the church, the, this is the church age, because Jesus is uttering, in, in, uttering us into the church age. The church will be a mixture of true and false believers. The church is going to be a mixture of true and false believers. There's those that have genuine faith, and there's those that have counterfeit faith. So hopefully, when the preacher preaches to his congregation, hopefully, they are of genuine faith. They're not just going there because it's Sunday and it's a good thing to do. They want to go to lunch after church. No, they're going for the Word of God. They're going for the Word of God. So an enemy came and he, they're gonna, you know, the enemy came and planted tares among the wheat. They're coexisting together. And I don't know if you, about you, but if you ever worked in your garden or even your your you know, raised bed, flower pot, you know, you notice the weeds pull up. And sometimes those weeds are very close to the fruit tree or the fruit, whatever, it, whatever you planted, a carrot 
or a potato or whatever. And you, if you pull that weed out, it'll uproot the good seed. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about who is the, who's the tear and who's the wheat. I'll take care of it. But know this. You will see their fruit. You will know them by your fruit. Because Jesus covered that in Matthew chapter 7. You will know them by their fruit. The tares look almost exactly the same as the wheat until it's fruit-bearing time. And then the fruit, with the weight of the fruit on the top of the head of wheat, it would fall over. But the tare will just keep straight up. So you can tell them by their fruit. So the, the, the one that's bent over with the weight of the wheat, then it will be gathered up, and the other ones will be gathered up and tied in bundles, and they will burn. So we have a right in the church because there's a mixture of true and counterfeit uh, people of faith. We have the right to discern, or I call it fruit inspect, the people in our congregation to find out if they are bearing good fruit. If they're not bearing fruit, it's a pretty good sign that um, they may not be believers at all. But you've got to remember this. You could plant the seed in the soil, and it may grow quickly. Or you could plant the seed in another patch of soil, and it'll grow more slowly until the ground is ripe to germinate that seed. So you've got to be uh, careful that just because the guy didn't go out and do good things right off the bat, sometimes it takes a while to germinate before, before it brings in fruit. So on your point number one, the parable of the sower, it, you, you know, um, we saw, number one, that it will not re be received by most people. It's actually, if you have four different types of soil, only one produced good fruit. So that's, you realize that's only 25%. 25%. I think that's high today myself. But in that, in that category, it's 25%. The parable of the wheat and the tares, there's going to be a mixture of true and false believers, genuine and counterfeit. And they will coexist until the harvest. And the harvest talked about here is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not the rapture. It is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Parable number, let's see, parable number, oh, in verses 36 through 43, Jesus explains it to the disciples. Here it is. Let's read verse 36 through 43. Then Jesus sent the disciples away and went into the house. And his disciples came up to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares and the wheat. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, the second coming. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares you gather and burned and burned in the fire, so will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the 
Spirit says to the church. Let him hear. Listen, if, if, you, if any of you have ever been involved in engineering, which I, if I'm drafting or any part of engineering, on a, on a page where there are drawings, there's usually a legend. And that legend will tell you, like, if you see a line with an X and a line with an X and then a line with an X, that tells you that's a fence line. If you, you see on the page that it's a thick line with two dashes, it's a property line. A thick line and two dashes, those things are known. So Jesus is telling you, the sower who sows the good seed is the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus. Okay, the field is the world. That means where, you're, where you live, you're sowing the Word of God, that's your field. The good seed is the true believers, the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And the result of this is the righteous are going to shine like the sun after the angels, you know, uh, collect up the bad tares and throw them into the fire. That's talking about after this, the kingdom will be pure after the second coming. Of course, we still have the millennium, but this is explained later. That's a whole other subject. So the kingdom's going to be a mixture of true and false believers. And the angels are going to weed it out. It's not your responsibility. God has assigned the angels that. You can, you can see somebody in your church and you don't like the way they act, and you know what? Beware. Stay away or try to help them become a better believer, if you, can, if you know what I'm saying or talking about. We're both going to grow together, and we're going to have time to even witness those that are not living the faith. We have time to train them up that they too might bear fruit. The parable number three is the parable of the mustard seed, verses 31 through 32. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs that beca and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. This is telling you that the church will experience supernatural growth. It will experience rapid and supernatural growth. The mustard seed, by the way, somebody said to me one time, you know, that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. Well, it's the smallest of the herb seeds. Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about here. About here. But it's going to experience supernatural growth. It's going to be the largest of the herb seeds that, that grow into a tree. It becomes a tree. And it's not really natural for it to do that. It's really unnatural. It's going to, the kingdom is going to experience unnatural growth. And I'll tell you how that happened. Around 313 A.D., there was this Roman emperor named Constantine. You know, he had a dream or a vision, and he saw, you know, uh, I think it was a cross of Christ in his dream. And he had all his soldiers paint the cross or the, the Christian sign on their shields. And he went to battle against Maxtenius, I think his name is. It's Maxtentius of Italy. There was a, a civil war going on in the Roman Empire for the struggle to become the, the, the emperor. 
and Constantine marched against him, and, and he won the battle and took over Rome. And once he took over Rome, he did a good thing. He, he made an edit of toleration, which would end 300 years of Christian persecution. So now the Christians in Rome were free to experience, you know, their Christian life out in the open without being martyred or crucified. And what happened was he made it a state religion. And by making it a state religion, you know, all these people that were actually idol worshipers now entered into the Christian church bringing their idol worship with them. So it's our job right now, even in this day, to make sure that that doesn't happen. So what happened is now we have a church that's, that's big and, and prosperous growth, and now the birds come in, and the birds are representatives of, of the Satan. He's going to infiltrate the church and cause big problems within the church, and you and I both know that is happening even to this day. And later on, another emperor rose up in 325 uh, A.D. The church officials, act, uh, not the emperor rose up, that's another one, but listen. In 325 A.D., the Roman church actually declared that Christ was a divine being, a good thing, because he is a divine being. But now we got people bringing... Uh, idol worship into this. I experienced this in Guatemala on two trips that I went to Guatemala in a, in a Christian church, and I won't name the, con the, the congregation or the, the, um, the denomination, but I went to this church and with a missionary and the team that was with me, we went up these steps into a church, and on the steps, there's a hoop, I'd say there's at least 100 steps going up, and on these steps there was people with fires burning. And I said to the missionary, we said to the missionary, I should say, what are these people burning fire on the steps for? And he said, well, that's, they're, they're witches. You just give them a dollar, and they'll pray for you. And I'm thinking, like, what? This is a Christian church. How can this be? But idol worship has already entered into the church. And this was in the 1990s, 1997, something like that. I'm talking, I'm talking recent, not back, you know, three, uh, 2,000 years. Then we get into the foyer of the church, and there's another witch with a fire burning, and you can give him money, and he'll pray for you, while the preacher was up there preaching. And I'm sitting there going, the, the, me and the group, we wanted to grab that guy and throw him down the steps. I mean, it was, it was gross. It was horrifying. But you know what? We decided that wasn't a good thing to do. So after the priest was done preaching, we marched around the church seven times, casting out demons and, and, and you know, as the Lord says, that their struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is an enemy that sowed this stuff in a Christian church. And it even happens today. And it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. The Christian church is all about Jesus. Him coming, him preaching, him teaching, him being crucified, him being buried, and him risen from the dead. That's what Christianity is about. It's not about anything else. You know, Mary, Mary's last word, the mother of Christ, you know what her last words were in the Bible? Whatever he says, do it. 
Not whatever I say do it, whatever he says do it. That was when over the, the wedding at Canaan. She told the people, if he said pour the water into the basin, pour the water into the basin. So that's Mary's advice to everybody in the church today. Do what Jesus says, not her. So, um, the edit of toleration was good, but it was bad on the other hand. Idol worship entered the church, but it was good. The Christians were no longer fed the lions, and they could come out in the open and worship the Lord because Constantine credited his victory to become the Roman emperor because of the dream and the, that he saw a Christian sign, and I'm assuming it was the cross. And the birds of the air nest in the church, and believe me, today, demons enter the church. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, and against spiritual forces of wickedness. Listen to this little preposition. In heavenly places. That means the devil can infiltrate the church. And you know, the parable tells us that. Jesus said it. And you, you know what else says that? Jesus had 12 disciples, and one of them was a devil, wasn't he? So they're evil and good. They're going to coexist. But you've got to be able and be wise enough to discern the good from the bad, and that's by the fruit inspection that we just saw in the prior parable. Parable number four, the parable of the leaven. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable did he not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now this parable tells you that, remember, this is, these parables are pertaining to Israel's rejection of the king and the kingdom to come, which is the church. Okay? Listen, here, here's the meaning of this. The church will be infected with sin because you put a little bit of leaven in some dough and it'll, it'll rise up. What, what, what Jesus is saying, you know, is the, the church will be, uh, will be infected with sin. And we know that because we're all sinners, right? Romans 10.1, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, 23. None righteous, no, not even one. Isaiah 64.6, your righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. We're sinners. Every one of us are. We are. But we're saved by grace. Thank God. So, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells you that by grace you are saved through faith. Yes, it's not your good works. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. A gift is free. And you can go to you know, uh, Titus 3.5, that Jesus saved us, not on the basis of the deeds you have done in righteousness, because you're a sinner, but according to his mercy, 
by washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The church will be infected with sin. Don't be surprised when your brother or sister sin. It's, it's, it's inevitable. We're all sinners. Now, what, the, what, the, what we need to do is not do it. We turn away from it. That's what's called repentance, as you well know. The church will be infected with sin. In 380 A.D., Theodosius, the Roman emperor, made Christianity the state religion, and, and membership was compulsory. Do you believe that? So there you can see that the idol worshipers will move into the church, and that caused big problems. It was great. They didn't get persecuted anymore. But now, you know, the, the work was out in the open that Christians could turn these idol worshipers over into uh, believers in Jesus Christ, hopefully. So the churches were infiltrated or filled with unregenerated people that needed to be saved. And that's why a lot of fire and brimstone preachers have been throughout the centuries preaching fire and brimstone so that you would know that you need to be saved. You've got to turn from your sins. You have to repent. Something that's not said too often in many churches today. You have to repent. You don't float... You don't uh, flaunt your sin. Someone said this, and it's a quote. Christianity conquered Rome through persecution, but Rome conquered Christianity through compromise. And that's what we do. A lot of people in the churches today have compromised, and we can't do that. The book that it's on the back, it speaks about compromising that I wrote, if you're going to take one, you know. Um, it talks about compromise. If you're a soldier of Christ, there is no compromise. Your captain gives an order, you do it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You do it. So here we see, uh, coming up to the 11th prophecy in Matthew, to establishes Jesus' ID in verse 35, and here it is. That it might be fulfilled which was written in Psalm 78 too, I will utter things kept in secret from the foundation of the world. The reason why Jesus switched over to parables is because the Hebrews weren't listening. The Jews weren't listening. And they have been rejecting Jesus. So he switched over to parables which, so that they would totally be baffled. They would totally be baffled. Because, you know, um, how can I say it this way? I'm going to read some of this. Printed it uh, yesterday. Would God say something similar to us today in the church? They attend church, but their heart is far from me. They read their Bible, but their heart is far from me. They pray eloquently, but their heart is far from me. See, God wants your heart. They contribute money, but their heart is far from me. They do ministry, but their heart is far from me. They love to sing, but their heart is far from me. They talk to others about Jesus, but their heart is far from me. They do what they want, not what God says. And they created a God that appeals to their own flesh, is what a lot of people have done. So he will open his mouth in a parable, and he will utter dark sayings of old. This is... This is uh, 
This is what Jesus is uh, in the parables that he is doing. See, because I always tell everybody, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. You don't see it. It's hard to see. But the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. So we see pictures on the Old Testament as the New Testament reveals them to us. The New Testament is in, is in the Old Testament concealed. You don't see it until you read the New Testament. And when you read the New Testament, you see it's revealed, it's opened up. You know, you find out what was Jesus saying. Now that, now that you can think of, you know, um, the seed. You know, the seed of the woman will crush your skull, but you will bruise his heel. Now that we see what Jesus did at the cross, we see a picture. When we see uh, the, the serpent put on the, the wooden staff that Moses was supposed to raise in the wilderness as the vipers bit the, the people, if they looked to the serpent on the staff, they would be healed of the poison that was placed in them by, by the serpents. And the same thing with that. That's a picture as if we look to Jesus on the cross because all of our sin went on him. The, the serpent represents sin in Moses' day. The staff represents the cross, the wooden cross. So as we look to the cross of Christ and crucified on it, the poison of sin that will lead to eternal death will have no effect on you. It's a picture. See how it's been revealed in the New Testament, reveals. And we could go on and on. There's so many treasures in the, in the New Testament that point to the Old Testament. Parable number five, the parable of the hidden treasure. Again, verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid for the joy over it as he, as he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. You know what this is saying? This is saying the Jews are Jesus' treasure. I can prove it to you, scripture-wise. Psalm 135, verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob himself, Israel, for his eternal, his special treasure. This, this parable is about Jews being saved. God wants them to be saved. This treasure is, is the Jews that he wants. Exodus 19.5 backs that up. And now, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you will be a particular treasure to me above all the nations, for all the earth is mine. So we can see that God treasures Israel even to this day. He wants them to be saved. So this parable, the hidden treasure, is the, the, the believing Jews that, is, that God wants in the kingdom, which is all of them. Parable number six, the par parable of the pearl, verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who went, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know what this is talking about? This is talking about a pearl. Did you know that the Jews don't value pearls? You know why they don't value pearls? Because Exodus or Leviticus 11, 9 through 12 tells you that they weren't allowed to eat self shellfish. Anything that didn't have fins and scales, they weren't allowed to eat. 
So, this is telling them that they never valued pearls. But God is telling you, I value pearls. Because those pearls will represent Gentiles. And God's saying, I love the Gentiles also. Meaning, so the parable above, parable number five, says the church will consist of Jews. Parable number six says the church will consist of Gentiles. Because the Jews could care less about pearls. I don't know if they do today, but back then, obviously, they didn't. The Gentiles are valuable to God. The Jews are valuable to God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whether you're rich, poor, fat, skinny, red, black, yellow, white, purple, God loves you. God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son. Both the Jews and the Gentiles, you and me, have been bought with a price. And that is the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ. Leviticus 16, 26 through 28 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And so does Hebrews 9, 22. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. We have to recognize that Christ took our sins upon himself at the cross. All our sin came upon him. Adam's sin was, was transported to man. Man's sin was transported to Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness was transported to those who believe in him. So we are made righteous by him and by him alone. Parable number seven. The last parable here. Verse 30, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind which when it was full, they drew it to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the second coming. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This parable here is telling you the kingdom will be sorted out by the angels. It's not my job to sort it out. It's not your job to sort it out. It's your job to discern who you want to hang out with. But it's not your job to, uh, it's, a, it's the kingdom's job to um, sort out. And it will be done by the angels at the end of the age. The good fish are gathered together. The bad fish are gathered together, just like the sheep and the goat. They will be separated at the end of the age which is, again, not the rapture, but the second coming. So just to go through these again real quickly, you know, the, the seven parables. Number one, in light of Israel's rejection of the king and the kingdom, it will not be received by most people. Today we know that most of the world is not Christian. It's just not. It, it will not be received by most people. Number two, it will be a mixture of true and false believers, the church, the wheat and the tares. Number three, it will experience rapid and unnatural growth. Number four, the church will be infected by sin. Number five, 
it will include Jewish people. Jews were converted. Do you realize that all the disciples, you know, were, were Jews? And they became Christians. You may have Jewish blood in it, and you don't even know it, because they were now Christians, and they intermarried with Gentiles at this point. So, you know what? It will include Jews. And it will include Gentiles. Jews are God's treasure, and the Gentiles are God's pearls. And number seven, it will be sorted out by the angel at the end of the age. That's future. Let's just finish up the chapter real quick. Kind of turns to another subject, but we'll do it. We've got a couple of minutes left. And when he had come to his own country, Jesus, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not mother, his, his mother called Mary? And his brother James, Josie, Sam, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? so that they were offended by him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country or in his own house. Now he who he did not do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus grew up in this, in this country, in, in Nazareth, as you well know. He grew up there. These, the word here, brothers, you know, a lot of churches and congregations and denominations think that Mary never had any more children. This verse counteracts that completely. Verse, uh, let's see, verse 55, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Simon, and Jude, were, and he has sisters. And that word there, his brothers, in the Greek is adelphos, which means from the womb. From the womb. So from Mary's womb, she had other children. And we know that, that um, James and Jude are writers of, of one of the epistles in the Bible. And they became believers at that time. But at one point, they did not believe that Jesus was the, the Messiah until after resurrection. That's when they knew. They wanted to know where he gets his mighty works. The Jews wanted to know how he could do these things that they... They all turned against. You have to have an open heart. And that's what this is all about. Your heart's got to be open for Jesus. You have to have an open heart to receive Christ. You're, you know, I tell everybody, mostly at, at uh, memorials, you know what? Statistics are clear. 100% of us are not going to make it out of here alive. So you have a future ahead of you, a spiritual future that you got to address. You prepared for your, your uh, retirement future, but you didn't prepare for your eternal future. And it's time to do that. It's time to do that. Because there's a consequence. And a lot of preachers want to stay away from it. A lot of churches want to stay away from it. But there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who reject the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for them. 
But without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So if your heart is right, then all you've got to do is cry out to God with an open heart. God wants your heart. He don't want your head. He wants your heart. And if your heart is true, you can come to God as you are. And when you leave the, the altar or wherever you made that commitment, you will not stay as you are. You will be different. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God will come in you and begin to change everything you do. And uh, let me add, it's for the better. Well, let's close in prayer. And, and uh, I hope some people open their hearts and their minds. You know, you don't have to be an eloquent speaker to preach the gospel. So just preach the gospel. Give your testimony and uh, tell them they have to open up their heart. Not their mind, but their heart. Father God, today we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your message. Lord Jesus, there's so much wisdom in just these parables that we can never tackle or ever reach the bottom of it, Lord. But Father, today, let us, what we learn today, be applied to our lives as we go from this place. And may you receive the glory for our lives. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. God bless you, everyone. I love you all. Tune in next week at 10.